The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Paula Treat, lobbyist Paula Treat, who's been around the cop capital for many years and has lots of stories to tell. I don't know if she'll share them all with us today, but we sure hope so. And um, Paula, welcome. Thank you for coming. Hey, John. Look, I'm glad to be here. And you're up in the Sierra Nevada right now. You're up in the village of Truckee, right? Yes, I came to Truckee for a couple of days. Uh, I can actually shelter in place safer here because no one comes <laughs> to the door. Um, there are a lot of things going on right now I could obviously ask you about. One of them clearly is the pandemic. That sort of seems to be the question we ask all of our guests on the podcast. Now, how are they coping? So here you are, a lobbyist, um, and part of your job is really face-to-face with lots of people, and the interaction, personal interaction is a big thing, and now you're working out of your house, too. So how's that, how's that playing out for you? Well, for me, I've had a home office for, seems like ever, but at least the last 30 years of my 45 years in politics. Um, it's okay. It's a, it's a bit strange. I mean, I'm autoimmune, so I can't even go downtown and do the limited testimony they're allowing. So most of it's email, text, phone conversations, a lot of email. Um, but it's a different day and time, you know. You would be able to do a face-to-face, which is always better, even in these podcasts, right? But having to be social distanced, um, it, it, it creates new and creative ways to get your message across. Well, you're always following bills, uh, things your clients are interested in. Is that changed at all? Uh, my understanding is there are less bills out there, so I mean, it might be harder for your clients' bills to even get in. Yeah, less bills. The interesting thing is who's deciding to set them. Originally, we were told COVID-related and fire-related bills were the only ones that were going to proceed. Um, You'd be surprised that people are connecting to COVID right now. (laughs) If your bill has a cough, it counts. (laughs) How about um, two things that are big right now? One, uh, or they're interesting, at least to us right now, uh, one is sports betting, which has been adopted in other states, and now it's making a push in California, both on the ballot, which may not be on the ballot, at least not now, may have been taken off and may be coming back, but also in the budget as well in legislation. So that's an issue. Uh, I know you have cl- you have tribal clients, and you, you're interested in that issue. That's that's one big issue that's come up. What Do you have any thoughts about that? Is it going anywhere? Is this the year some sort of sports betting or online gaming measure actually goes through? It'll be interesting. As, as you know, the tribes got together late last fall and put together in their own ballot initiative so that it could be controlled and regulated uh, so that it wasn't taken by Nevada or, or any other outlying groups. Um, and way above signature gathering up until COVID hit, and then, of course, we had to take a pause, um, it still isn't. Uh, it still is in the mix. Uh, so they have until July to collect the rest of the signatures. I think it's over a million signatures now that we have. So it's still uh-huh. in the mix. 
uh, the legislative side, which both Chairman Dodd in the Senate and Chairman Gray in the Assembly uh, both have uh, ACAs and SCAs, Senate Constitutional Amendment, Assembly Constitutional Amendment, to also do sports wagering. They've both said those are bills, uh, works in progress. So we had a hearing last week. It uh, wasn't really as one-sided as, as reported. It came out 9-3 to three in Senate GO, uh, but that was nine votes in favor and seven votes either no or not voting, uh, with a couple of those as being courtesy votes to the chair. So it's still in a process of maybe there's a negotiation, maybe there's a compromise. I don't know. That actual stage of my pay grade but it's still being talked about, and uh, it may or may not happen. I, I don't I don't know what the actual compromise makeup might be, but I know that tribes don't want to go backwards. They spend a lot of time and a lot of money getting to where they are with their constitutional amendment 1A, and uh, we'll see how it progresses. How, how does that play in, do you think, with the... Uh with the governor's budget, with the state budget. Is there a language still in there? I understood there was languages of a well, week or two ago. Well, there was a placeholder language in the Senate that mentioned it. Um, the assembly budget came out, I believe, without anything in it at all about sports wagering, um, or vice versa, I can't remember. They're both, both the budgets, as you know, are in play right now and being finalized. So I don't think either side counted on sports wagering money for a couple of reasons. One, there are no sports right now. Um, I mean, except for a couple of college volleyball games um, and maybe the Kings playing in Disneyland in July. But there's really uh -huh. nothing to bet on right now. Yeah, I saw, in fact, I remember uh, a few maybe a few weeks ago, everything seems like it was a million years ago now, but uh, a few weeks ago people were very excited about, I believe, South Korean baseball. And there was Quite a vigorous. Yes, because yes, I'll be oh, yeah, betting sure. on that myself. Yeah. <laughs> the, the desperation. <laughs> so, so that's one of the factors. The other factor, I think, is by the time you gear up, because if any of these qualifies for November 2020, then you have to do regs afterwards. They usually would take effect in January, after, but you have to still promulgate regs. So I don't see any near time money for the state to help out with COVID right now. Um, and I don't think tribes ever foresaw this as being a giant money maker versus if it's going to either happen illegally or on the state level legalized, that you regulate it the way it should be and that you respect the, the tribal sovereignty and the uh, exclusivity given to the state, uh, given from the state to the tribes in Prop 1A. One of the estimates... I saw was uh, revenue estimates was it would bring in half a billion a year, 500 million a year. What do you think the estimates might, um, a more accurate estimate might be? We had this with cannabis too. It was estimated from $3 to $10 billion, you know. See? And it's always overestimated. My, and, I mean, first of all, you need to take the people who are doing it illegally now and convince them that they should do it legally and pay taxes on their win. Okay, so that's part of it. And, and that's not an easy group to break into because they've been doing it illegally for a long time. I mean, it's in a weird comparison, prostitution. Would, would, if you legalized it tomorrow, would everybody sign up and say, oh, I want to do this legally? I don't know. 
So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, that I'm not sure what the price tag would be. There's been a variety of different uh, polls done. And then are you talking about how much the state would make or how much the product would make and then the state would take a piece of it? Because yeah. that's a big... I think it was a gross revenue estimate as opposed to the state's cut of that amount. So the estimates are all over the place. There's really no nothing definite. You did a... With sports so slowly going back into this, depending on, regardless of who got their cut, $200 million maybe, um, for the whole state. I mean, keep in mind, part of it is do you go mobile or not? And, and part of the promise of the state of California to the tribes was to keep gaming uh, within brick and mortar because there's hundreds of thousands of brick and mortar jobs connected to gaming. So, you know, uh, there are tribes all over California. Way out, they are literally the largest employer in their entire county. So beyond the fact that I think tribes are wonderful uh, community partners and state partners with their sovereignty, they're huge employers uh, that cannot just, equal, you know, easily pick up and move to another area where it might be. What's the reopening look like for them? Well, I should say which tribe. My Calusa tribe has not reopened yet. Uh, Pechanga opened on June 1. And, uh, you know, socially distanced, uh, plastic shields, gloves, uh, masks, you name it. Uh, temperature checks at the wow. door. Uh but if you know you're coming back at 25 percent, even if you made it up to 50 percent any time in the near future, nobody wants to be the reason someone gets sick. And at the same time, you have Pachanga alone has between 55 and 6 thousand employees. If you count the facility, all the facilities down there uh, connected to both the casino, the RV park, the government center, that's a lot of people to be responsible for mortgage payments health care, et cetera, which they do. So uh, it's going to be a while. No one is going to bounce right back. Do you know if that reopening, uh, Paula, is that reopening uh, schedule or the plan on reopening, is that something the state has a role in or is that something uh, that Temecula does or the county down there? Yeah, take into consideration sovereign nations. So each of them as a sovereign nation can reorder at any time, can reopen at any time they want. They have all been, I think, incredibly responsible. They came up with their own sets of guidelines and best practices of what all of them collectively uh, felt made the most sense to keep people safe, uh, their employees safe, their tribal members safe, because we have so many elders, and the constituents or or their... uh, uh, gamblers who come into their facilities. So some opened two, three weeks ago. Some are opening for another couple of weeks. The state had a, a projected date of June 8th for an opening. Some wanted to open earlier because they had so few cases or they had such strict protocols. They were more than anybody else's protocols. Um, and to date, knock wood, uh, we haven't seen any spike of anything except people happy to get out and go. Uh, The governor had also said he was hoping they would follow their county uh, health officers' guidelines of reopening. But we didn't fall into a category. So we weren't three or four. 
and we weren't necessarily two. I kind of always thought of this as being 2.5, is that it was a sovereign nation that could open any time they wanted to. But within the tribal nations, they all wanted to be really responsible when they did open. So sure. I think they're doing yeah. it the right way. You know, I... um it's for me. It's probably a, for me harder than for you, but it just seems this thing is just driving me crazy. Staying at home and sheltering in place. True test of every marriage and relationship. <laughs> and let us just say, I may not ever retire now. <laughs> <laughs> I think these people that have young children drives me. I just can't imagine. I know. I, wow, you know. If I had kids at home, they'd be learning how to carry the one. They wouldn't be learning new math, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, on a completely different subject, but still of interest and a lot of interest lately, is Tesla. And um, I know you represent Tesla, among a number of other clients, but you're knowledgeable about Tesla. So, I guess the basic question is, what's with Tesla and their fight with Alameda, which I think they won. Uh, I guess they did win. And as I understand it, a lawsuit that was floating around out there has been dropped. But the issue was, fundamental issue was, could Tesla resume operations at its assembly plant and move on? And there was a fight about that. What? Yeah, I can tell you some of the conditions. And I think it ended up with a meeting of the minds and uh, an agreement to move forward. It, when the first uh, COVID uh, uh, stay-at-home order came out, the federal government had a list of those uh, uh, businesses that were key to the economy and just running. So trucking, that fell into it. Um, actually, all, all of the manufacturing of autos and trucking fell into that, did not have to shut down. Um, a variety of different things happened. Tesla fell into that because of how they manufacture. Um, and they also had other things that were needed like batteries and solar units and everything else that, that people needed to keep, keep, keep the battery, I mean, the lights on. So by the feds, we were already excluded from the shutdown. By the county, we were not. And then there was a gray area as to what the state thought because they also had transportation man manufacturing in their um, needed services could continue. So that's where part of the problem um, started out. And then I think there was a miscommunication with the health officer. Uh, one, I think, was an acting health officer. Uh, and then the person who... You mean the county health officer? The county. You mean the Alameda County health officer? Okay. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. So, and then, of course, there were tweets, <laughs> which I have no control over. Um, so there was a lot, I think misunderstanding of what the Fed said versus where the state was versus where the county was. Um, it, it all lasted about a week and a half. There was resolve. Uh, we did reopen with all of the safety measures above and beyond with the temperature checks and the social distancing. So it all came down to much to do about nothing for a week and a half, uh, post the week and a half. Um, I think we're in an okay place now. The lawsuit was dropped, I am told. Um, but it's a tough place to be when you have the Fed saying one thing, you have the state yeah. saying another thing, and then you have a county uh, health officer who seemed to have kind of uh, veto rights on moving forward in any of the other areas. And they're open now, 
I mean, they're up and operating now. Is there any is there any caveat to that? For example, if there's another surge in cases, Alameda, you know, in Alameda County, would they? Is there a benchmark if that happens, they shut down again or they cease operations? Well, or we're not up at city, nor will we be for a while. It's, I think it's yeah. going to be as if a second surge hit anywhere. You know, where did it hit? How did it hit? Um, not would. To my knowledge, even to today, we have not had any COVID cases related to the facility, just as we've not had any COVID cases related to any of my tribal facilities. Um, so, not would. We stay lucky in that area and all the precautions that we're taking obviously uh, makes it a safer workplace and also not one that you would think about shutting down a second surge if it had been working the way they all wanted these uh, mild openings, you know, one-third capacity, one-half capacity, whatever they're finally going to get to. No one wants to be the reason that a whole bunch of people get sick. You think, um, as we look forward on this, do you think they'll be back to normal if they're partial capacity now you think they'll be back to normal pretty quickly or are they on the downside here for quite a while i would hope they can come back and i think you know it's kind of like a crystal ball right now as to how each of the counties are doing i happen to be under the belief outside all of my all of my clients that a second surge will hit and i think it'll be because of the next two three weeks uh, through 4th of July, of people just needing to be with other people and uh, uh, uh-huh. not rec- not recognizing the fact that you're taking this home, you know, so. I'm sorry, hang on, Some a phone, I thought I had my thing off here, but. I thought, that, I thought the little chime meant we were done. <laughs> 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 I thought it was. Uh, I thought that might have been your Elon Musk alarm uh, that you have an alarm set for every time he hits Twitter and you go, "Oh my God, did he just say that Tesla? The price of Tesla shares should drop." Right. I can only imagine your. I'm, you know, your blood pressure medication is probably uh, thanking him. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm back. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned looking forward. We're, we're hopeful, but. Uh, we don't know for sure. We don't have a crystal ball for sure. I noticed one of your clients is California Medical Association, and they're just crawling with doctors over there. So have you heard any medical information, insight from them? you get any thoughts about this? is a question for them, of course, but since we've got you on the phone, we'll ask you. You know, representing CMA, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of doctors throughout California, um, we've been on the forefront of, of supporting vaccinations. Um, as popular as that is with some people. Um, I will tell you it would be very interesting if and when, well, I guess hopefully not would when, uh, the vaccine for COVID-19 comes through and to see if there's the same opposition for COVID-19 vaccinations as there have been for all the other vaccinations. Part of the move uh, against shelter-in-place has been the anti-vaxxers are very very active in that. There have been anti-vax signs out there. Some of the same people are at the demonstrations that were at the anti-vaccination demonstrations and were in that movement. Um, so even if it's available, there's going to be a big move against it. Well, and I thought the interesting that the reopening up of California protests were a lot of people, including anti-vaxxers, that were really masked up. The protesters marching for Black Lives Matter it's fair to find someone that wasn't masked up. And the 
teachers were, you know, multi-generational, multi-racial. It was very interesting to see the two different protests and how they dealt with COVID at the same time another issue. You know, I've been to to protest for both, actually, and, you know, covering this for here. And it was really interesting. I went to the one over at the Capitol, the, the first big reopened California, and I did not see a single protester wearing a mask. The only people I saw wearing masks yeah. were reporters. And what was interesting, yeah. I don't think and any finally, of... finally, law enforcement after a bunch of us complained. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, the law enforcement were not wearing masks the time I was there. Now, by contrast... Mm-hmm. Uh, the current protest, protests are going on, the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. They are, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. totally masked, but largely masked. And, you know, over at the Capitol two days ago, I think there was a very large demonstration on the east side of the Capitol, and there were probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 officers on the steps, every one of them wearing a mask, even though they were probably, I'm I'm going to say they were 70 feet for the protesters because of the, the fences. Mm-hmm. And that it was very, it was, well, it was an interesting but, mix. But you know, I was going to say what's really interesting is that I'm autoimmune. So for people to understand what masks mean, the mask means when I wear it, I'm not going to protect me with a cloth mask. I'm hoping to help protect you in case I sneeze or cough. You wear a mask for others in public. You know, it's different than wearing a mask in the hospital where you really want to slow down and not have your first responders catching things. But for someone to wear a mask in public that's cloth or plastic shields, for that matter, I'm respecting you to not get you sick. It's not an affront of both my womanhood, my manhood, or, or me being afraid of you. I'm doing it for you. If you cough on me... I got a 50-50 shot of making it. So people totally under don't understand the outside use of masks. Unless you're wearing N95 plus a shield, you're pretty susceptible to anything that's on the outside. You're wearing a mask to protect others. Yeah. It's a respect thing. So my mask doesn't really do me much good. I'm not wearing an N95. You're going to you're um. going to you're going to kick just like I am. <laughs> <laughs> We're in that age group, John, where we don't have a big shot. The over 30 group. I I know I keep seeing these statistics about uh, uh, people over 70, people over 60, people over 70, of which I am one now. And they're dying like flies. I mean, proportionally, you know. Exactly. I don't know. What can you do? Yeah. What can, you know, even though we obviously we grow better as we grow older, is what I tell everybody. Uh, Nobody agrees, but, you know. Would, uh, so where do you think, what happens next with this? This is, uh, you know, the obvious, I guess, speculation, but go ahead and speculate. What do you think happens now? Here we are on June 5th, uh, and I think the spike is over. The first round spike, at least it's going down. What I read this morning, it's going down a bit. So or do we flatline and then go back up? You know, like you mentioned, maybe, you know, July 4th holiday, everybody's going to get together on July 5th, we start seeing another spike, or is this, are we in a long, slow slog to the finish line going down very gradually? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? I hate to predict, but I totally predict it'll go straight back up. Um, I think there's going to be, I mean, I happen to think that the governor handled it perfectly. I'm sorry for the businesses that had to go through what they had to go through with. We didn't turn out to be New York or New York City only because the governor was so tough on, on trying to keep people 
to get that curve down as much as possible. But I think as they see that, ah, well, so 4,000 people died. So we got 38 million, not a big deal. I think if people take that for granted, that it spikes up. It spikes up not just in our, our senior centers, but all ages, especially when kids start going back to school. Um, and then I think hopefully it comes back down, they find a vaccine and it gets better. I think that probably anybody who is immune or in a position where they really can't afford to catch this flu, because they may not come back, uh, that's out there until January or February. I thought the governor had kind of a roller coaster here. You know, I thought Governor Newsom did got lots of good reviews early on. He, he seemed to move quickly, did move quickly, and had regular updates, and there was an information flow. And then he got worked over pretty good. That Laurel Rosenhall at CalMatters said that story on the masks and issues regulating that contract and monitoring it. And then... I was going to say, I'll tell you the interesting thing about that. And I'm... I have a, I feel for the governor on that one. You know, when anything like this hits, there is a shortage. We all try to reach out and see who we know that can make something better. I even did it, too. Of course, I didn't know that there was a way to actually get a piece of the action. I just did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. So as I found vendors that I know had different items, I sent them to the, to the uh, uh, portal enter it in so that could be vetted because there's some great, even local groups who are making everything from shield test swabs that can help big time in California. And I think that the, that proposal was put out there and was expected to come through. I don't know why it had massive problems, but that's not the governor's fault. And I have to say that even though they didn't arrive as they were supposed to, uh, they were smart enough to do the deal that until they arrived, you wouldn't get any money. Well, but we like blaming the governor. It's, it's so much more fun to blame the governor, you know, than... <laughs> you know, you could be a Georgia governor or someplace else where it's like, whoa. <laughs> well, here's more speculation, uh, not only in California, but around the country, that what we're seeing now is, is a sea change in the public's perception of the police and, uh, you know, more broad negative perception of the police before it was limited to people who were beat up and who were brutalized. And we, a lot of us, did, we didn't know that. Now we have video out there that's all the time taking all these pictures. And we have people in L.A. There was a horrific one, the old guy in Buffalo that just got shoved down almost as a matter of course. There's that one. Um, do you think that this will change? I, San Francisco is talking about diverting money to other areas of, of law enforcement, you know, more community, and so is L.A. So you think it's a permanent thing, or does this go away as soon as the pandemic ends? I mean, it's a tough one for me. I mean, as a lot of people know I represented TCPOA for about 18 years, which is the correctional officers. Um, my godson uh -huh. is a highway patrolman. Um, I represented police and sheriffs in Nevada for a long time, and I have a ton of friends who are of people of color who have been stopped well, driving while brown, driving while black, while black. Uh, it, it's it's such a huge mess. And, and I love law enforcement. They do what they're supposed to do 99% of the time. I truly believe that. Um, I don't want to say there's just some bad apples because there's systemic problems from the top. Um, you know, uh, chokehold, yeah, that chokehold was 
bad, but the arm hold is just as bad, with similar to the neck issues yeah. that, that uh, Mr. Floyd had. I don't know what the answers are, but there has to be change. I mean, uh, I can't... Uh, and I think it was put best that I was listening to a young white teenage girl talk about the fact that when she gets stopped, her biggest fear is her, her parents are going to get mad at her for getting a ticket. If she was black and she has black friends and they get stopped, will they be going home? Those are two giant disparities yeah. of how you should feel when you get pulled over. And like I said, having law enforcement background and having so many friends who uh, talk about their experiences, uh, it, it needs to change. There needs to be a systemic change. I don't know how you get there, but there's a ton of people who are way smarter than me that could help us get there. Great. Paula Treat, thank you very much. This has been really informative. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John, and thanks, thanks, uh, thanks Paula. And this is John Howard saying we'll see you next time around. Take care. Bye-bye.